you read with Greg in our scripture reading this morning from the second chapter of the book of the Revelation. My text is found in verse number five of this particular passage of scripture. Ephesus was indeed a picture of the early Christian church. And that very early church was a hard-working, active, energetic, enthusiastic group of people. They accomplished great things for the Lord, or could I say it correctly, the Lord accomplished great things through them as they surrendered and yielded themselves to the leadership of our blessed Lord. There is in this fifth verse a call that God gives that I want us to particularly see. For after complimenting the church and the people of Ephesus on all their labor, their patience, and so forth, he then says to them that you have left loving me first. That is, you've left your first love. The fifth verse calls for four things in view of that waning love that apparently was so evident. The verse calls, first of all, for remembrance. Secondly, it calls for repentance. Thirdly, the verse calls for a repeating. And fourthly, the verse calls for a removal. Actually, it doesn't call for removal, but rather there is a warning that unless the Lord's command and order is followed of remembering, repenting, and repeating, indeed there would come, as the verse says, a removal of the candlestick. Now then, uh, I want us on this Memorial Day weekend to think primarily uh, about what the Lord uh, said to the church in the first instance. He says to them, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Memory indeed is one of the most precious of all gifts that God has given to, uh, to mankind. To be able to remember, for there comes a time in a person's life when he's not able to do much more than just remember. He reflects on the days that are past, the good times, the bad times. But memory God has given us. On Mother's Day, we sung that old song that all of us are acquainted with, Precious Memories how they linger. And so God has given us the capability of memory. Now sometimes our memory fails. And our memory fails because originally man disobeyed God and sinned against God and thus he fell, fell from his lofty and original state. Psychiatrists tell us that by the time a man dies, that he has only used some 10 or 20% at the most of his capabilities mentally. 
that they tell us that man's mind has the capacity to become a, a genius in every known field of endeavor. That's a staggering thought. But yet again, I believe that the mind of man has been affected by reason of the fall in the Garden of Eden. No wonder then the Lord has to tell us to remember. No wonder you and I have problems remembering sometimes. I walk more in the recent days and months and the past few years than I have ever walked in my life. And yet I walk because I go into the house to get something. When I get in there, I've forgotten what I went in to get. And then I go back out thinking, I wonder what I went in the house for. And then it comes to me. I remember what it was. So I have to walk back in the house and then walk back out and uh, be on my merry way. You know uh, the problem yourself to some degree. But nonetheless, we forget. We tie strings on our fingers. We write notes and pin them on the refrigerator door or on the side of the door or in some conspicuous place so we will remember. And undoubtedly the Lord recognized the failure of these in the church of Ephesus to remember the things of the past. The Lord's word often calls for us to remember. On one occasion he said to the children of Israel, remember the days of old. I remember also the Lord Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. In other words, remembering Lot's wife ought to be a warning to us as to our obedience to the Lord. Again, the scripture says, remember all the commandments, not just three or four, but all of them, he said. Again, he said to Israel, remember how I led you all the way. And then he warned Israel when they got over into the land of Canaan. And they were prosperous and they had increase of cattle and they had increase of properties and, and houses and land. The Lord said, see that you forget me not. How easily then we forget. And I thank God for periods in our calendar year, in this country at least, that there are days and times that are designated to help us remember. Even so, we remember sometimes by the words we hear. We hear a familiar phrase. We hear somebody repeat that phrase, and it reminds us of the person who first said it. We sometimes hear the preaching of the Word of God, and through the preaching and the teaching of God's Word, the Lord reminds us of certain things. And that's one of the blessings and one of the reasons we ought to be faithful in the Lord's house every Lord's day. And every time there's an opportunity to hear the word of God, we ought to be present for the simple reason we often forget what God says to us and what he asks of us, what he tells us to do, what he commands us. And so men forget. And yet we're reminded by words and sometimes we're reminded by nothing more than a song, a familiar song. 
a loved one saw. The other night, Pat and I and uh, 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 Dad and Sis were here. Uh, always glad to see him down near the altar bench. But uh, we were driving down looking at some houses and, and we started back and I put a tape on and uh, the tape uh, was playing a song by a choir down in the Carolinas. And that song was, uh, I'll, I'll meet you, I can't even remember that, was I'll meet you in the morning by the eastern gate. And uh, sis said, you know, I can just hear mama singing that song. And I reached here to sing it. Oh, how a song can remind us of some blessed event or some loved one or some person. And then have you ever been reminded of maybe a place or a person by nothing more than uh, an aroma? Maybe uh, your wife or your mom or your sweetheart's uh, special perfume. And uh, you go to a place and there's a little drift of that odor or aroma. And it reminds you uh, of some individual. So uh, by word, by song, by aromas, we are reminded. And then indeed by monuments erected, we are given aid in our memory. That's the reason people put gravestones in the cemetery and others. It is a memorial in a sense. It is a reminder. Every time I drive by my daughter's grave, I'm reminded not that I do not think or think of her at other times, but there is a constant reminder. That granite stone with her name on it, and it is a reminder to me of her and of her life with us. I think of Washington, D.C. There's been erected the Lincoln Memorial. If you've never been to Washington, and if you never have, you need to visit and stand at that Lincoln Memorial. But you know, I wonder how many people would remember all that much of Mr. Lincoln if there hadn't been erected a monument to him. Would we remember his words as well? would remember anything about his life if there had not been erected a monument. Then there is that giant and tall monument to Washington, to General Washington, to President Washington, and we're reminded of him when we look at that. You go by Arlington Cemetery, there row after row after row of crosses that mark the graves of men and women who spilled their blood on battlefields of the world and fought for our freedom in this country. I'm glad we have some things to help us for so easily we forget. The cry and the prayer of the poet was that be with us yet lest we forget lest we forget how easily we forget. Have you seen that monument of the raising of the flag on the island of Iwo Jima after that hard and fierce battle was fought and so many lives of so many of our young men, their blood soaked up in the sands of that island. And yet when you stand and look at that monument erected to these men who fought and gave their lives. There's something of humility that creeps over your soul. I think of those things that are given to us to remind us. 
I wonder how many would remember in generations to come the hundreds of men who died in the battleship Arizona when this country was attacked by the empire of Japan and those soldiers went down and there their bodies are sealed in a watery grave and yet there's been erected a monument. And if you're ever in that area in Pearl Harbor, you'll see that monument. What a sobering, what a sobering moment that is. Yet I wonder how many would remember. I wonder if somehow those monuments are out there to help us remember the Liberty Bell yonder in Philadelphia. To be remind us again of the price that was paid that we could have the nation that we have and the freedom that we enjoy. How we ought to rejoice when we are reminded. Then I think of the many who have, have gone away and died as martyrs because of their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. How easily we right here as followers of the Savior, as professed Christians, born again men and women, and yet we forget the price that was paid for you and for me. I think of all of those men who died as Baptist martyrs, who stood true to the word, and who's made possible such a church as a Baptist church. You know, I don't have much for churches that are erected and even are being erected, not only in our county, but all over this country that won't identify themselves. I don't even go in the grocery store and buy a can of peas if I don't know the label. I want to know what's in there. I don't want to buy a can of anything that doesn't have a label on it. And I'm proud to be a Baptist. I want you to know that. Somebody said, if you wasn't a Baptist, what would you be? I said, I'd be ashamed of myself. Yet again, I've told you the story of that dear old woman up in the mountain died in the wool, Baptist. And somebody said to her one day, he said, Andy, I want to know, what if the Lord came back and told you, uh, uh, and, and told you uh, that he was not a Baptist? And she said, I know it weren't him. Well, the whole truth is, I believe that we have as close to the doctrine of the Word of God as Baptist people, and I'm not ashamed of that. And yet the truth is, there have been those who laid down their lives that we could have the truth that's in this blessed old book. I think of Matthew, who is said to have suffered martyrdom by being slain with a sword at a distant city of Ethiopia. They say that Mark expired at Alexandria after having been cruelly dragged through the streets of that city. Luke was hanged on an olive tree in the classic land of Greece. John was put into a cauldron of boiling oil and then exiled to a lonely island known as Patmos. It was Peter who was crucified at Rome upside down, tradition says. James the Greater was beheaded at Jerusalem. James the Last was thrown from a lofty pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with a fuller's club. Philip was hanged up against a pillar at Hierapolis in Phrygia. 
Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body with a lance. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas of the Gentiles was stoned to death by the Jews at at Salonika. Paul, after various tortures and persecutions, was at length beheaded at Rome by the Emperor Nero. Only a few of those whose names you're familiar with, whose names you find in this Bible, and yet what a price they paid because of their faith and their love for Jesus Christ. And yet we're willing to drop out of the fight and be unfaithful because we have some little something that bothers us or something that somebody has said, God forgive us for being such weaklings and such cowards who are unwilling to really stand at any cost for our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet our Lord God himself has given us a monument to remind us of him. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. The trees that grow in the forest, the green grass of the field, the vegetation, the animal creation, man himself, God has built a monument that somehow you and I would not forget him. And yet would you believe that even with all of creation around us, men do not think of him. They have no consciousness of God. I stood just outside of Toronto, Canada several years ago. And in the evening the sun was setting. There are several people who are standing out there at the edge of a lawn of the motel. We were watching the sunset, one of those beautiful glowing kind of sunsets that breathtaking. I stood there in awe, and every once in a while you'd hear someone say, isn't that beautiful? Oh, isn't that wonderful? A man who stood by my side, I'd never know, I'd never met, did not know him. But he began to explain, now he'd say, Watch the change of the colors. It'll change from this color to this particular color. And sure enough, it did. And I said to him, sir, uh, what, uh, what do you do uh, in life? And he said, I'm an artist. I said, isn't that amazing? Oh, he said, isn't this a beautiful sunset? I said, it is. And he said, all around us, such beauty that, 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 that's all around us and we enjoy so much. And I said to him, you know, sir, you're an artist. And I said, uh, no doubt you have paintings. and People come by and look at those paintings. But isn't it an amazing thing that often we look at the most beautiful paintings, but we never think of the artist. We never think of the one who painted that picture. And yet we live in this world that's alive with evidences of our God and yet men forget him day by day. I look yonder to a hill called Calvary and there's a monument. Guys sang so beautifully the old favorite, the old rugged cross. What an emblem. What a monument to our Lord Jesus. And yet another 
For beyond that cross on that hill that had the appearance of a skull, there is an empty grave. There's a tomb of which the stone was rolled away. The Savior who was crucified on that old cruel cross, though he was buried yet on the third day, thank God, came forth victorious over death, hell and the grave, a monument to our Lord. And every time we say it, and yet people wear the cross on a little necklace around themselves. I wonder how many, even when they wear it or when they see it on another I wonder if they ever think of the one whom that cross represents. Oh, how blinded we are apparently. How dull and how empty our minds that we never think of him. But if you have gone out and you've ordained that even in the dying of the seed and the coming forth of that that you planted is but a reminder of our great God. Not only that, but there is that, the, that uh, observance that Jesus himself commanded us to observe. On the table over here to our side, there is in front of it the words printed, this do in remembrance of me. And our Lord designed a unique way, a simple and humble way of bread and the fruit of the vine to remind us of him and of the death he died, the suffering that he endured, that you and I could be free from the penalty, the power, and ultimately the presence of sin. You know, there are flags that are designed to remind us all this hoopla about the changing of flags, I think that's kind of nonsense. Crossbars, that old Confederate flag, never reminded me of slavery. Reminded me of men who believed in what they believed and they were willing to lay down their life. And I thank God for some way, somehow, that we can remember the price that some of your forefathers paid. My great-great-grandfather, uh, Granddaddy Sam, fought in the Confederate Army. And yet I, I, I rem, I, I'm reminded of him, the price that he paid, the loss that he suffered, and one time owned beautiful properties up near Highlands, North Carolina, known now as Blue Valley. And yet because of his involvement in the war, was unable to pay his bills and had to give the land away to pay for what his children and his wife had eaten in his absence while he fought in the war. That's what I'm reminded of. When I see that old crossbar, that's not a reminder of, to me of hatred and slavery, but a reminder of men who believed in a cause. I stand before battlefields, Gettysburg. I felt such an awe when I walked through that battlefield. I felt it as well when I walked through the battlefield at Shiloh, down at Vicksburg, up at Bull Run. All of those battlefields and battles that were fought in this land of ours. 
And oh, listen, somehow we don't need to forget the sacrifices that men made on both the north and as well in the south, sacrificing their lives. Then I think there are days such as this that set aside to remind us, lest we forget. You know, towns and cities have been named after people whom most of us know little about. St. Charles, uh, San Francisco, uh, St. Louis. I wonder how many of us know much about them other than a name and we would have forgotten their name had cities not been named after them. So uh, we are given help. And then uh, oftentimes, and I close with this thought, Oftentimes we're reminded by reason of some question asked. The Lord came in the Garden of Eden after man had sinned, was hiding from God. And the Lord's voice was heard to say, Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? God knew where he was. It wasn't a question asked out of ignorance but is a question asked to ignite a man's mind for him to think and to realize where he stood in relation to God. And Adam did. He cried and answered, Here am I, here I am, where? Hiding from God, running from you. And yet many a man needs to hear that same question maybe right here today. Where are you? Where are you in relation to God? Where do you stand in relation to the Son of God? Some of you are running from God. You don't want to think about Him. You don't want to consider your own need. You don't want to consider the sacrifice that He made in order to keep you out of hell and give you a home in heaven. I hear the Lord saying to Eve, What is this that thou hast done? I'm wondering if the Lord doesn't ask us the same thing to jog our memory and bring our mind and our thinking alive. What have you done? And I'd ask you this morning, what have you done? And, what, and that that you have done, has it been in accord with God's Word? Or has it just been something that you pursued on your own? What is this you've done? And I think that's what Samuel is asking Saul when he said, What's the meaning of the lowing of the oxen and the blading of the sheep? What does this mean? And I believe God's saying the same thing. What does it mean that you love him so little? What does it mean that you've never given him your heart and life? What does it mean that all these years you have rejected Jesus Christ? What does it mean that you've never had a moment when knowing you were a sinner, lost on your own to hell, you bowed and asked God to forgive you and save you? What does all that mean that you haven't done that? What does it mean that after men have taken such stands and made such sacrifice for us to have even a place such as this little church that men and women would be reluctant and fearful to walk an aisle and identify themselves with a Bible-believing group of men and women. What does that mean? Again, then the Lord asked when he said to Elijah, What doest thou here? 
What are you doing over here hiding? You're my prophet. What are you doing over here? I wonder if the Lord ever asks you that. What doest thou here? Some of you dancing Christians, I imagine the Lord asked the same question. What are you doing here in this old honky-tonk? What are you doing sitting at the bar? You call yourself a Christian. What are you doing watching this movie and sewage and sludge out of Hollywood? What are you doing? What doest thou here? What are you doing at home when the doors of God's house is open. What are you doing? The Lord asked that we be jogged in our memory and spurred to thinking. Jesus said to that one leper who came back after he had healed ten of them, he said to that one leper, where are the nine? Only one man came back to give him thanks. And I think sometimes that little question causes us to realize how ungrateful we are, how unthankful we are. Uh, Listen, whenever you sit, even if you're out at a fancy restaurant eating, don't ever be embarrassed to bow your head and thank God for your food. I don't mean you have to clap your hands and say, hey, everybody, bow your head around here. We're going to pray. No, I don't mean to be ridiculous. I remember one time as a student in school, I bowed at one of these lazy Susan tables. Food is just going around. I bowed my head to thank the Lord for the food and just hoping inwardly it would get back to me. And uh, I was bowing to thank the Lord. And just as I started praying after about 15 seconds the lady who was in charge came over and grabbed me by the shoulder and started shaking me and said young man young man are you sick and I said no ma'am I'm not sick I would just give him thanks for the food that the Lord's provided here oh she said I apologize she said it's so rare that I see anybody do that I thought you were sick and yet I wonder what the Lord thinks when we like some old greedy hog eat up all the acorns on the ground and never look up to see where the acorns came from. What is, what, where, where are the nine? And then Jesus said to Peter, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? A question. God questioning. Simply, he knew the heart of Simon Peter. But he wanted Peter to know his heart. Lovest thou me more than these, these disciples around you, your friends? Do you love me more than your occupation of fishing? Do you love me more? And I wonder, do we love him more than the things of this world, our leisure, our recreation, our pleasure, our home, our comfort? Do we love him more than these? Final question. And Pilate said, And whom shall I release unto you, Barabbas or Christ? What will you do then with Jesus, he asked, which is called Christ? And I ask you that final question. What will you do? Better still, what have you done with Jesus, who is called Christ? 
Oh, if you've not asked him into your heart and life, man, now's the time to do it. You can't afford to wait another minute. Look at all the price that's been paid that you, little old you and little old me, could have an opportunity to receive him and make him Lord and Master and Savior of our life. What will you do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Some question the Lord may have put to you this morning that I have not even touched on. Down deep in your heart, the Lord's questioning you about some things. Maybe he's saying to you through the life of someone else, through some monument of word or song or scene around you, God speaking to your heart and you know that you need him in your life as your Savior. Oh, as you've been reminded of your need and the fact that you're a sinner, lost, helpless, you'll say today, oh Lord, save me, forgive me, come into my heart and life. I take you as my Savior and Lord. And maybe somebody, you, you're already saved, but You've failed to remember the price that's been paid so you could stand and be a part of a Bible-believing church like this little old country church. Maybe you need to come and say, Preacher, I'd like to be a part of this fellowship. Even so, there may be some here today, God's dealing with you about your possessions, your material goods. Have you been faithful in giving the Lord his tithe? and bringing to him an offering. Have we been faithful? Listen, think of men who gave their lives, not just a dollar, a dime, or a ten, or a hundred, or five, or a thousand. They gave their life. I wonder, as the Lord looks at us, I wonder what he's asking. I wonder if the Lord's not saying to somebody you here today, maybe a young person, a middle-aged person, or even an older person, what are you doing with the rest of your life? What are you doing with the opportunities in front of you? Maybe God's calling some young man to preach the gospel. Maybe he's calling some young lady to be a teacher, a doctor, a nurse, or whatever. A man to be a farmer, an electrician, an engineer, a carpenter. I don't know what God's will for your life is, but I'll tell you this. God wants you to surrender to him. My prayer is you'll do it.